on this episode. So she goes like this. Why isn't everybody like you? I said, I have no idea, but I'm going to tell you something. My dad's already at the refrigerator and he's not even watching the credits. So he just knows uh, if he liked it or not. You know, so it's a stupid thing to argue about. But I'm thrilled when I see directed by Barbara Streisand and Richard J. Alexander. Like, yeah, you know, please, like, put it on my tombstone. From the coveted corner booth in a little bar in the center of the Coachella Valley universe, welcome to another big conversation with Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Big Conversations Little Bar. We are recorded live at Skip Page's Little Bar in Palm Desert, California. We like to call it the center of the Coachella Valley Universe, and Skip really likes us to call us that. Uh, we're we're here, uh, and of course, I got our producer John McMullen and my trusty co-host. Each and every week, he's back. For more abuse, Randy Florence is here. I'm sitting in a different spot. I'm really freaking out right now. Like I'm not exactly sure where I'm supposed to be looking. I have to say, this is your better side. Is it because the light's behind me and you yeah, can't you see are my face as you look at much more me? handsome from this angle? You should always have your wife sit right here. So. Okay. <laughs> just just tell hey, 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 I'm... No, no, no. I, I got to say something first. Oh, by all means. I want to celebrate... Uh, a little over a year ago, you and I were sitting at the bar at Little Bar here, and we started talking about doing a podcast. We did. And within about 15 minutes, we had decided we were going to do a podcast. And today is the one-year anniversary of our first episode with the owner of Little Bar, Skip Page. We made it a year. Wow. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. But no one would cancel us because we're not getting paid. Somebody'd have to listen to us to decide they wanted to cancel us. <laughs> and Skip hasn't thrown us out yet. So Has your wife listened yet? She doesn't even know that I do a podcast. I mean, like, I will say, she's like, what did you do today? And I'm like, oh, you know, I had a podcast. But, oh, really? And then she just kind of glosses that over. And, yeah, I play mine at home. My wife goes, hey, that guy sounds like you. <laughs> I thought she said it sounded like Don Knotts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, we are delighted today to have uh, uh, our guest, Richard J. Alexander, who uh, is responsible for some of the biggest Broadway shows, like all of the ones that you like, the good ones you were involved with, and you continue to work today. You just got back from New York. Uh, Richard, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure, but you guys are lying to the listeners. Uh -oh. I happen to know this is a popular podcast, or I wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> that is the God's truth. I'm always the guy asking, who's your audience? How many listeners? You know, I'm like a... You what know, did you tell I'm him, a, Patrick? I'm a, I'm a press whore. You know? <laughs> that, that's why I'm sitting here, and I needed a free hamburger. Well, uh, <laughs> cheeseburger. I was... <laughs> Excuse me. I was at the Purple Room in Palm Springs and uh, seeing, I believe it was Billy Stritch, wasn't yeah, it? we were there for Billy Stritch. And, uh, and Richard and I got to, I got to meet Richard, and I, I guess I was talking to Billy, uh, who's Love a, great, Billy. a great piano performer. He's the, he's the king of New York uh, cabaret music and yeah. just terrific, and he comes out here. He's coming out here in February, uh, but Richard introduced himself, and I was talking about the podcast, he said, and I love what you say, you said, yeah, I might be a good guest for you. Look me up. Yeah, I, do. I tell people to Google me all the time. <laughs> Don't forget, I'm new in town, right? And, and I did, and I was like, uh, you know, holy shit, he would yeah, be a that's good guest. what I thought, too. But I, and then we saw each other at that party uh, before One Night Only. 
But the the thing is for me, like I just moved here, right? And I'm a newsie. And so I, I found Channel 3 like immediately. You know what I'm saying? And so you get to learn the personalities and you meet the people. And then I saw he was on triple duty with the cooking <laughs> and the weather and all the theater music guests, which is my jam, you know, at the noontime. So, you know, you just you see him in public. He's a celebrity to me. I'm like, hey, you know, I'd be a good guest for you. Well, I love it because we'll be sitting here and... And everybody that we talk to is like that. They know Patrick Evans. And at some point, they'll look at Patrick and go, man, I just love you. And then they'll look at me and go, man, you guys are awesome. (laughs) Well, what's great, when I said when I came in, you know, what I love that they're doing now is they're showing his longevity at the station. So they start with those youth pictures with a full head of hair. And I'm like, wow, he's been there a long time. Good for him. (laughs) You know? Uh, yeah, 22 years. So congratulations. But this is, listen, this is phenomenal, a year and a podcast. And by the way, just so you feel better about yourselves, nobody gets paid for podcasts. So you're kidding yourself. <laughs> oh, you know what I'm saying? They're very, they're notoriously hard to monetize. But uh, <laughs> let's get to you. Let's, let's talk okay. about, first of all, talk a little bit about, uh, I mean, you, you continue your work today. So kind of tell people exactly what you're doing and how you managed to do that from Palm Springs. Well, it's interesting. My career, I really am a Broadway baby. You know, that is my curriculum. It's my university. Like, I knew I wanted to go to work on Broadway. And I couldn't do anything else. So there was no choice. Like, my dad would say, you need something to fall back on. I'm like, what, dad? I want to be a CPA or a hairdresser, (laughs) you know? So, and when I went into the business, you know, I'm 70 now. uh, There were only, there were hundreds of us because it was a calling. Now there's contests and YouTube and TikTok and all kinds of entry way. But, you know, I went through the education and the music and the stuff. And, you know, I come pretty gifted and pretty smart and bilingual. You know, my mother was Cuban. My dad was Spanish. So, um, you know, I knew I wanted to go to New York when I was 10 years old. And my dad saw that because he was uh, um, an educator and a CPA by trade. And uh, he started buying me the New York Times on Sundays. And I'm like, Ma, look, the Andrews sisters are over here. You got to take me to New York. And the first show I saw was Mame. And I couldn't believe Like, I was nuts. I was nuts. And they made fun of me in my town and everything. And, you know, I had the last laugh. But, you know, fast forward, the Broadway career happens, and then bringing us into the now, it's always been theater, 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 and the people I work with are actors who sing, you know, people who really have the lungs and the thing, no auto-tune, no nothing. But my life changed uh, when I did Bernadette Peters at Carnegie Hall, Mm. the Grammy nomination, the reviews, like, my whole life changed in one night. And all of a sudden, I was the guy directing, you know, they call me the diva whisperer, and, uh, and it just happened. And if you were me at 10 years old, you look in my bedroom, there's a whole Barbara Streisand wall and there's Liza and, you know, and I ended up working with wow. everybody. And so what are the chances, whatever sort of, you know, thing was going on in my bedroom at night, you know, it was just, it was happening. So you I kind of manifested in, it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I don't know if I believe in any of that, but I <laughs> sure knew, I knew, I knew my stuff. And the other thing is to do the work that I do, you also have to be a fan. And, and professional and know what you're talking about and blah, blah, blah. But so the Broadway melded with the concert careers. So all the Carnegie Hall debuts I did with Leia Salonga, you know, Brian Stokes Mitchell, um, uh, uh, Bernard, you know, just so many debuts. And then we start traveling the world in the Sydney Opera House and all that. <clears throat> and, and Barbara, you know, concerting all of the world and then doing the television specials and this last one on Netflix. And you know, it's it's I, even I have to pinch myself, like seriously, and so um, that's where I'm at. So you can do what I do now, you know, because you don't have to do eight shows a week at a Broadway theater, going into a stage door, 
um, and fly wherever the work is. So what happens now is like I just came back from two weeks in New York. The problem is now with life is that you can't break one appointment. If it's raining or snowing, you don't have the option of saying, let's meet next Wednesday. So you got to you got to be sure you show up for everything. Then you got your show tickets. Then, you, you know, so <clears throat> it was jam packed. I was exhausted when I got home. And uh, but I still love it. You know, I said to you before, you know, like I am very opinionated. I can be brutal. But I'm not jaded. I'm still that 10-year-old kid. So when I go to a show and the lights go on, I still get that little bit of electricity because the possibilities are endless. I, I want to ask you about until that. They're, until they're not. Because <laughs> I'm kind of the fan geek uh, on the show here. So right. I, I always want to know how you got there. So right. you, you grew up and you had the posters on the wall. Mm-hmm. You start in community theater, okay, which is you know a and, good. And, we're, and there's we're lots of community theater here. Like parents were encouraging, and yeah, my my parents were because my dad saw the passion, and it's important to be passionate about something. I couldn't care less about sports, right? And um, and you know, I was into show tunes and going to the library and you know, traveling downtown and being an usher for free. I was obsessed, and I learned all my musicals. I know every lyric to everything from the big headphones in the library. <laughs> So, and then you take your first trip to New York. But what happens then is you start starring in the musicals, right? Was I any good? I was certainly um, enjoyable. But the thing is, the enthusiasm, when you look at a show when you're young, you just see the actors. You don't understand lighting design, stage management, scenic design. You're just looking at the people up there. So I started out as a performer, and I was pretty damn good. And, uh, um, but then... You know, I just started to matriculate. And the real turning point for me came <coughs> when I did Amadeus. I was in the original Broadway cast with Tim Curry and Ian McKellen and Gene Seaman. Wow. wow. Yeah. And, uh, and I had a small part and I was an understudy. And my friend said to me, Richard, take the second ASM contract, the assistant stage manager. You get an extra $35, right? This is 1979. And you collect valuables. Right, uh, but and you know, giving back to the actors at the end of the show. But you get to go to all the understudy rehearsals, go learn everything, and then try to get to direct the tours. And that's exactly what I did. It was the best advice I ever got. Mm. Zoot Suit so was that your first? That was my first performance show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was at the Winter Garden where I saw Mame and where Barbara Streisand did Funny Girl. So I thought, oh, I could die now. You know, I'm 22 years old. I'm nuts. <laughs> you know, I can die now. No, you can't. There's more to do. But talk about that as somebody who's <laughs> dipping his toes into that stuff right now. How did you get involved in Zoot Suit? I, you get called by your agent and you go in an audition. And so, uh, you know, and you don't believe it. You go to enough auditions, you get rejected. So it was Patricia Birch was the choreographer who had done A Little Night Music and Candide and playing our song and, uh, and Luis Valdez from the West Coast. And, um, um, you know, all it, it was sort of, it was Mexican. It was the Sleepy Lagoon murder case and the Zoot Suit rides, right? Yeah. And I was Cuban, and they're all running around going, orale, and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? I had to learn a new kind of Spanish, right? And the reason I got the part is because whoever played my part in Los Angeles didn't want to come to Broadway. Oh. But you know, I worked with Edward James Olmos, and, and all these friendships, by the way, they all still stay. I just saw Ian McKellen this summer in uh, London. I went to see him in a play, and I said, Ian, do you remember me? And he goes, come here. And we spend an hour together just laughing and talking because... We were together for a couple of years, pre-Broadway, Peter Hall, who wasn't knighted yet. There's so much rich history. I really benefited from the British invasion. So if you look at Amadeus, if you look at Song and Dance, Andrew Lloyd Webber starring Bernadette Peters, Cameron McIntosh, you know, my life with him. Um, I really did well by the British import situation. I used to live on the Concord. 
you know, just go back wow. and back and forth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, and also it was written by Frenchmen, you know, and uh, so I would go to Paris a lot or to the south of France, you know, so it's, uh, I've had a, a extraordinary That 10-year-old kid has got to look forward and just be amazed. Yeah, it's just, but sometimes I forget what I've done. Like, I'm serious and I'll be <laughs> opening the boxes from the move and I'll go, oh my God, I forgot I did that. <laughs> like, my bio is so incomplete with all the little shit that you did, you know, but um, it's, uh, and when you're chasing it, by the way, that's a very good point. You're not clocking it. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, I don't know where I got all the time. I really don't understand how it all happened and how I went to all those parties and Studio 54 and like all of that. Obviously, I was younger and energy and all that. But, you know, that was my life. Like I lived right across the street from Studio 54. That's crazy. 300 West 55th, 19F, and I had binoculars. And I would go like this, who's there tonight? And if I liked the crowd, I would go go down and get it. Listen, Jack Nicholson, Warren Beatty. I'm not joking. That's a really good advantage to be able to look and see. Do I really want to hang out with the... Okay, yeah, I do. Exactly, but you get a taste of who's going in. And why do all those people have rolled up $20 bills? By the way, well, that's a whole other story. That's that's (laughs) a different thing. But um, don't forget, there weren't cell phones. There was nobody to tip you off. You know what I'm saying? That's right, yeah. Yeah. And you didn't have to worry about what somebody taking a film about you while you were at Studio 50. No, no, because video wasn't invented yet. Right. As a matter of fact, I used to be in love with General Hospital. Yeah. And when I wasn't home, I would have my roommate turn on the tape recorder so that I could hear it later. This is before VHS and Beta. <laughs> because I was obsessed with Luke and Laura and the wet, you know, the whole thing. And, you know, the, the, you know, I was really nuts. So you transitioned from performing and you decided instead to move behind the scenes. It's not really behind the scenes. It's sort of encompassing. So... You know, like anything, like you watch actors, you you become, you know what you don't want to be in this and that. But I also stage managed. I was a choreographer. You know, I was a dancer in my early life. I was in the movie All That Jazz. Mm -hmm. I danced in Saturday Night Fever. Like, we thought it was a bomb when we were making it. Really? Oh, terrible. Like, we thought it was ridiculous. And also, don't forget, you guys here, the Bee Gees, we were dancing to beats. The score wasn't in yet. Oh. So Lester Wilson's taking us through the thing. But... I'm so lucky that movie happened, period, because I did a whole bunch of commercials because everybody, you know, wanted all that. And uh, and John broke the barrier. And we're still friends to this day because everybody was blonde that would get a shaving commercial or something. And he broke it open so that ethnic people. One of my biggest commercials in history was a thing called Papa Pepsi. It was filmed in Brooklyn, and the storyline was Grandpa comes to the docks, you know, from Italy or wherever the hell he comes from, and you know, <laughs> and and we're in the backyard partying, right? And I was laughing while we were filming because the drink was Pepsi Light. It was new. It was a blue can, and I think it had a lemon flavor or something. And I go, "Where's the wine?" Like that would what really would be happening, right? That's right. But because nobody talked in it, they were able to voice it over in Greek, Italian. French because it was the immigrant experience, right? And the money was literally, I'm so not joking, this was the days of BBDNO, checks were just falling out of the mailbox every day from a different market. And that was like my life changed. That's fiscal. a pretty good gig. Yeah, that was my fiscal <laughs> life changed. That, you know, when I, when I was working, when I first moved to California, I worked in Orange County at this little TV station and there were a number of folks who worked who also were working in LA and uh, there was a whole group. They lived together in, in Hollywood, and 
one of them worked part-time at the TV station, but all of them were commercial actors. Oh. And all they needed to do was get two or three yeah. national commercials. Because the royalties were outrageous. Yeah, it's the, a different thing now. It, were you ever an actor in your life? I've done a I know I'm, you love theater. Yes, I've dabbled a little in acting, but, but it, were not you like Randy who's studying it. Playing a part? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Except I still say theater. Well, that's true. Yes, <laughs> the, not anymore. Not, <laughs> not after today. this one. You're banished from the kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> you're either um, going to the theater or you're not. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I've, I haven't done any theater stage work since college, uh, but I've done, I know a gentleman here named Chris, Christian Sesma, he produces and directs movies and writes movies, and he's put me in a couple of his movies. And, mm. oh, that's uh, good. And it's, you know, it's fun. Yeah. I've done stuff you like You got that. a credit for one of them. I've got a credit for several of them. One of, the yeah. first film I ever did here was with, uh, it was called Adopt a Sailor, and uh, Baby Newworth from Cheers no, from and Chicago, excuse me, from Chicago, and from of course. Sweet Charity. <laughs> yes, she's an incredible <laughs> stage actress. That's true. Uh, uh, and singer, Peter, dancer, legend. Peter Coyote was the male lead, but yeah. the young actor was Ethan Peck. Oh, mm. and uh, it was really fun to do that. And now he's gone on to be Spock in the new Star. I'm just yeah. like, damn it. That, why couldn't that have, you know, I knew it was going to be one of us, just kind of, but, yeah. you know, he is Ethan Peck, he's, you know, Gregory Peck's grandson. Yeah. So. Well, for the people <laughs> who are listening who, you know, uh, I love Broadway, yesterday was a, like a really sad day. We lost Cheetah Rivera. Cheetah yeah. Rivera, who you were who was very close with. Years old. She was my first professional Broadway friend. I moved to New York in 75. She was starring in Chicago with Gwen Verdon. And uh, and we've remained friends throughout. But Hinton Battle, who won three Tony Awards, one of them was for Miss Saigon, which I was the executive producer of. And so it was just, I was blue, you know. And of course, I'm 70. And, you know, the clock's ticking, like Stephen Sondheim says, every day a little death. Not in a fearful way or anything, but every day it's going to be one day less, you know. And it just, like, hits you. And all these people that you see when they were so vibrant, you know, yeah. and that's why I've become so attracted to Nickerson Rossi dance, what they're doing over there. Oh, they're doing, they're doing great work. No, unbelievable. And I've committed myself a billion percent to them and the kids. And, uh, I love what Michael's doing and, uh, it's just, but they're, I've seen so much change in a year and a half. I've seen really transformations, and so I love what they're doing, but they're getting really professional training. They're world-class, like Paul Taylor Dance Company kind of thing. And Bobby LaFosse from ABT in New York City Ballet was in town. I brought him over to see the kids. I just love them. I love the parents. I love everybody. It's just a great place. It feels healthy, <coughs> and it's welcoming, and that's what I love about it. And, you know, I'm visiting theater groups little by little, you know, in the Valley and stuff like that. Even at my place where I live, they have a musical theater appreciation group <laughs> so I, i'm running in the other direction <laughs> get away get away so it's not who i was i'm still who i am, who I am. As we talked about, yeah. it scares the daylights out of me you know well it, it you know there are so many folks who retire to palm springs yeah and, and we were talking about this before yeah. we started rolling tape you, you know they do a lot of speaking about what they did and yeah. you know, who they, they listen, were. They had a life of a certain thing and, you know, they want to be treated the same way. I get it, but it's it's a little odd, but, you know. <laughs> but It's funny how many of them stay active in town, too. Yeah. W wanting to, I mean, once you're on stage, you want to be yeah. on stage. You know, somebody who's really special to this community is Kristen Chenoweth, and you've had quite you a relationship quite a with, with her. She was just here this she, weekend. Yes. That's right. She was yeah. at the McCallum. Talk about your relationship with her. Well, it's interesting. I remember she was, her first big show uh, in New York was a thing called uh, Steel Pier by Kander and Ebb, right? 
and I had never laid eyes on her or heard her, and those bunk beds involved or something, you know, it's Coney Island. And uh, I hear this squeaky voice. I went, oh my God, this girl was born to do musical theater, right? And look what happened. But before that, she did the Fantastics off Broadway. A lot of people don't know that. So when I did a show for her at Carnegie Hall called uh, Evolution of a Soprano, I had her come out with the vocalese book that we all grew up with in college, and the audience was way ahead of me for the laugh. They got it. Yeah, they totally got it, because anybody who's trained or sung a note knows that. So anyway, it's been a lot of years. We did two. We did the My Love Letter to Broadway. We did um, uh, For the Girls. Uh, we've done Carnegie Hall. We've done Sydney Opera House. We've, done, you know, we've been all over the world. And she's insanely talented. Yeah. And then I got involved in her Broadway boot camp in Oklahoma. You still do that? Uh, I, I didn't this last year. I did it through COVID. We did a hybrid. Yeah. And then it's about scheduling, really, what happens. But I saw her the other night, and, you know, the audience loved her. She sold out two nights, and uh, and it was nice. I hadn't seen her since she got married, so I hugged her and said, how you doing, Mrs. Bryant, you know, and, <laughs> and hugged her, and uh, it was nice, you know? Yeah, so, she means a lot to this you know, town. Uh, this area gets everybody. Like, I think I go out more here nightly than I ever did in Miami. Mm-hmm. There's just, everybody's here all the time. It's and exhausting it's sometimes. friends in one night only, or they're <laughs> at the purple room. It's like every day, you know, I'm like, what am I going to eat tonight? I've had the short ribs and the fish and the, you know, it's like, it's hard to choose the food. So you drink. <laughs> all right. You were talking about uh, doing the. Which uh, is how I met Patrick. That's drinking, true. Man. At the purple room. <laughs> having a drink at the purple room with Billy Stretch. After hours. I didn't it's even know the bar was open after people, hours. It's amazing. Amazing how many people start out by saying, I met Patrick having a drink. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sociable. I don't, <laughs> I'm just I don't a play a lot of golf. I don't. I Me mean, either, I have Patrick, a hobby. Right on. <laughs> hobby. <laughs> right Cocktails on. Cocktails counts yeah. as a hobby. Although as I have a- taken up pickleball. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And, it's, you know, I'm fine, but it's everybody who falls all the time, and they call the ambulance three times a day. That slows down yeah. the game. Well, because these people... You're never, probably the youngest one in your they group. They never danced, and, you know, yeah, move. so yeah. by the time they're headed into the sink, you know, they're down. <laughs> <laughs> so I become a very valuable player, and my name went on a list. I'm like, how did you get my number? Oh, it's up, and I take it down. <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about some of the people you were. You mentioned Bernadette Peters yeah. and, and Carnegie Hall, yeah. And uh, and you you spoke about how you like to work with people who you know big lungs, great voice, have gifts, you yeah, know, and can uh, bring material to life. What it's, an incredible performer yeah. she is! Yeah, what a great voice and a huge crush of mine yeah. for my whole life. Yeah, she's in her consciousness. The Steve Martin years. Yes, she was a movie star. You know, pennies from heaven, all that stuff. And, um, and she's amazing. I mean, she's Broadway royalty, for starters. But I'm in high school, right? And I hear Dames at Sea, you know, on the album. Peter, Patter, what's the matter? I'm like, who is that? There are voices that are distinct, like radio. Like, so I don't even know who anybody is anymore. But if you hear Bernadette, if you hear Cheetah, if you hear, you know, Barbara. voices are defining, yeah. you know, and they're soothing. Johnny Mathis was just here. I've worked with him. It's unmistakable, and it's such a part of your fabric you know what I mean so uh, I remember uh, the first time I worked with him in the studio and I was crying and he goes are you okay I go yeah you're Johnny Mathis <laughs> what am I doing here <laughs> yeah he was doing a Broadway album and Jay Landers told me him about me and you know blah, blah, blah. same thing with Barbara you know are you okay honey yeah I'm just oh, never done that song together. and you worked with Barbara Streisand for a long time 23 years now wow, wow. yeah so and I'm very proud of that and 
you know, if I never did another job in my life, I love all of them, but she's my girl. Like, that's it. And it's just uh, just everything, the artistry, the humor, the love. And I'm glad the book finally came out because, you know, people have such misconceptions. Absolutely. And, you know, the papers go for everything. But <clears throat> it's, um, you know, I live it, so I don't pay attention to any of it. You know what I mean? So what does she like to work with? Fantastic. You know, what are we doing today, honey? And you set up the schedule and stuff like that. And, you know, we code direct. So I'll go, come on, pull up a chair. I love it. I love her. I love looking into her blue eyes. I just love the whole situation. But she's so smart and so creative. And um, we haven't raised our voices at each other in 23 years. (laughs) And we're great collaborators. And... um, uh, you know, I remember my fav- maybe one of my favorite conversations is when she called me the first time we did the tele- a television special. I think it was 2006. And she goes, honey, do you want to be on the same card as me or do you want your own card? I'm like, Barbara, I'm over 50. I'm gay. I want to be on the same card as you. <laughs> you know, what are you nuts? So she goes like this. Why isn't everybody like you? I said, I have no idea, but I'm going to tell you something. My dad's already at the refrigerator and he's not even watching the credits. So he just knows oh, if he liked it or not. You know, so it's a stupid thing to argue about. But I'm thrilled when I see directed by Barbara Streisand and Richard J. Alexander. Like, yeah. you know, please, like, put it on my tombstone. Uh, and just looking at the <laughs> incredible list of names that you work with, and let's talk about Bette Midler. Yes, what about her? To, uh, well, <laughs> is she fun to work with? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're just mentioning all my crushes, right? Yeah, I, I, well, there's Listen, some of my crushes, too. You're I mean. talking about talents, that this is my thing. I missed the the golden age of musicals by 10 years, but I got to work with all those people. The That's Jesus, interesting. The ones, yeah. So I was 10 years late when they were doing all the classic musicals, but they were still in their prime in their 40s by the time I got to New York. So take Bette Midler. I used to get stoned in college and go see her, you know, at the Lowe's downtown. Was Barry playing Barry piano? wasn't playing by then, not, not for the tours. Okay. But, you know, the Harlettes and Melissa Manchester. This was all part of my upbringing. So you get called into the room and you're doing stuff. And it's important, you know, you know the catalog, like when I'll bring up a song to Barbara, you know, she'll be surprised that I know that, but I know every lick, every song, every album, even, you know, Je M'appelle, like I love Je M'appelle Barbara, so when I'm depressed, that's what I put on, Clopin, Clopin, I know every word, Bette Midler, you know, Skylark, you know what her, uh, um, uh, Hello in there. You know, the looking into the face of the homeless person on the street and who they were. Just because these are singing actors. It's like being Kurt Vilish. They're brilliant. And she's got soul and she dances and the way she throws down a line. So when you work with the different people, there's a different thing. Bet's rat-tat-tat-tat. Bernadette has a Queens thing to her. Bernadette, uh, Barbara lands a line like a Brooklyn girl, you know, with a punch. You know, Kristen's very Oklahoma and oaky. And you, know, so, and you write with syntax when you're writing with the stars so that things land. It's very interesting. I can't say that I learned that or I studied that. I developed it out of necessity. It's almost like bluffing yourself into a job and learning on your feet. But, but you once you get known for it... You also read the person so well. Yeah, That's a great statement. You yeah. know why? I never do anything on paper. I take the energy in the room. Like, let's say Kristen says something. You know, she's on all, all fours, you know, on the piano and a kimono. And she goes, you like it doggy style? I go, that's funny. <laughs> we're going to do it. You know, or Barbara looks at me one day. We're doing How Lucky Can You Get? And the line is, you want to know what it's really like? Fantastic. And she looks at me and she goes, you want to know what it's really like? 
fucking fan, you know, fan fucking tastic. And I'm like, this, ooh, I want to use that. She goes, I can't do that. And I go, yeah, you can. She goes, Marty. She goes, yeah, you can. <laughs> and it's in the show. And when it happens, they go wild. So when the reaction comes, it gets meatier and meatier and grows into something else. So, but you're able to sit there and go, I remember exactly when we decided to do that. That's yeah, incredible. But it, it happens and it's together. It's combustive. That's why you can't do stuff, you know, on Zoom. The energy in a room or when somebody comes up with an idea or they present you in a show and tell with a medley, like I hate medleys. And I go, why would you put those together? You know, it's like people go, I'm going to do a, the arc of a relationship or I'm going to do rain songs. Like, fuck you. You know, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and when I met Polly Bergen, you know who she is, right? Yes. Of so she was 70 years old, right? And I get asked to a meeting at Le Cirque. Yes, that's where we had lunch. And uh, when the press agent called me, she'd like to meet with you. And I, th I really thought she was dead. <laughs> you know, I really did. I said, she's alive? But you can confirm she wasn't. So I'm at the lunch, and she looks at me, and she's a handsome woman, beautiful chest and dazzling eyes and manicured hair, like dazzling, right? And um, of all the stars I ever worked with, that was the one that killed my dad. Like, it was, oh, now that's a star. You know, Polly Bergen. <laughs> so, Polly Bergen. <laughs> so, you know, even after Barbara and Benjamin. But uh, she looks at me across the table and she goes, I'm thinking about doing an evening of love songs. And I said, why? Are you in love? And she thought I was a smartass. She goes, oh, you're a smartass. And I said, yeah, and you're abroad. And if you can sing tomorrow at that piano, I'm in. But basically, my question was, where have you been for the last 40 years? And that's the story we told. And I'll tell you why I'm proud of that. Because even her manager fought with me, oh, they'll laugh at her, this, that, whatever. I said, you just got to shut up and leave me alone. You know, I'm making contact. We opened, right, um, at Feinstein's at the Regency. And I did a dress rehearsal for her, which is never done on the dark night. Because I didn't know what could be trusted and what couldn't or how much she would be able to pull up from nerves and stuff. The review was on the cover of the New York Times, not on the arts section. And then when that show opened, my life changed again. And the Diane Carrolls and the, you know, and everybody was asking for meetings. It's sort of crazy. But if, I guess this is what I'm trying to say. I'm about truth. A lot of people are doing like show business, screaming, yelling, con to what end, you know? Tell the truth, make contact. And then if they don't like your truth, fuck them. I can't be bothered with that. Do you know what I'm saying? But... You but can't. your truth helped Polly Bergen. Yes, because I, the story got told by But I find her truth. I mean, that's that's, that's what you right. do. You yeah. peel away. Guess what? The I was stoned one day, and I'm laying in bed with my lawyer. Not I wasn't in bed, but we were laying on the bed watching the Helen Morgan story. I'd never seen it, the televised one, the Playhouse one. And I watched her when she sang my bill and everything. She was holding a handkerchief on the piano, and so I went to her house the next day. I said, "Polly, you got a handkerchief in your drawer? Come here." And she grabbed it, and uh, I said, sit on the piano, and let's do Bill. She goes, what? She goes, Richard, they'll laugh at me. I said, let's just see what happens. So what happens is there's a time travel in the head, and all the stuff comes back, like riding a bike, and it stopped the show. Everybody has a fearful moment. They're fearful of being judged. What if this doesn't work? And once you're the audience, we've lost. Don't do that. Keep your place. I will tell you if it doesn't work, I promise I will protect you, but I got to put it in front of people to prove my point. But fear is crippling. It's crippling. And I'm there for them. Like if I was as beautiful as them and as talented as them, this is what I would want to see. And because I see everything, I know what is shit and what is real. But who's the, the bravest, who's the bravest performer that you've worked oh, with? All of them are brave. Every single person we've been talking about are brave because yeah. at the end of the day, you either have to commit or not. We're doing it together, right? So I always say 
you know, Stephen Sondheim wrote this great lyric, don't leave me halfway through the wood. Mm-hmm. We did this together and we got to put it to the test. You know, and but it's live and it's once sometimes. Carnegie Hall's one night and you're recording it and the New York Times is there. My whole life changed. And I get the, goosebumps just listening to no, you talk about you, it. You find it. You find and then going to the Grammys, like, come on, I'm like, what? You know? <laughs> you find this moment of, of vulnerability for these performers. I love them, but why would I steer them towards trouble or danger right. or a compromise? But I, I, I imagine... And I've been around the edges of show business a lot. Uh, it's hard to find people who are like that, though, because there are people who will lead you to trouble. <laughs> I mean, for the for their own purpose. Are you talking about my role or their role? Your role. Yeah, people well, in your role. But that's why I'm the diva whisperer. <laughs> that's why we're talking. <laughs> what did you do with Julie Andrews, whom I love? So Julie Andrews was great. This is just a great, great story. So of course everybody loves Julie Andrews, right? But where she was in her life and in her career is that if she was ever going to return to Broadway, she had promised Blake she would do Victor Victoria on the stage. So Cameron, who I worked with and for, had done a thing called Putting It Together, which was another like a side-by-side by Sondheim. And he had done it successfully in London. He was bringing it to New York. And we were That's Cameron play. McIntyre. <clears throat> right. So I ran his company for 12 years in North America. So anyway, he made a deal with Manhattan Theatre Club, which is off-Broadway. And, um, you know, um, she was offered it, right? Um, whatever the sequence was, she wasn't going to do it, right? And we wrote her and said, look, it's not going to move to Broadway. It's a limited run. Come to New York. She sang for Stephen Sondheim. And we did it. And it was joyous. Her, you know, uh, Chris Durang, Rachel York. It was fantastic. Directed by Julia McKenzie. One of the joys of my life. And my favorite Julie story when we recorded the album. And you know what it's like recording an album with Stephen Sondheim on the couch, reading the paper, you know. It's just... <laughs> no, I don't no, know. No, it is surreal. I'm telling you I'm it's sure. surreal. Like, look at my, But there was a song in it called My Husband, The Pig. Right, and we're doing playback in the sound thing, and this killed me. Like I just can never forget it. So she's listening, right, and she's lovely and handsome and gorgeous and nice, and and she listens to herself, and it's done. She goes like this: Why do I always sound so goddamned pleasant? <laughs> you know, because she's trying to kick ass. <laughs> My right. husband, the pig. You know the way she's, and I just fell off the couch. But it'll stay with me forever. So when the album, the album plays or comes on Sirius XM on Broadway. You can't forget those things. It's hilarious. You have worked with Debbie Boone, and she just performed in One Night Only. Yes. Her I, voice is still, yeah. I mean, really remarkable. She, not only that, the the fact that she has maintained her beauty with oh, no work. She's, she's stunning. She's a stunner. So she's done a lot of theater, and I met her. Um, we did a show in New York at Fine Science. The show I did with her was magical because um, John Otto was still alive, who had worked with Rosemary Clooney. When Rosie died, she left Debbie all her charts. So it was a tribute to Rosemary Clooney, this wow. show. And it was just beautiful. And sometimes we'd be in rehearsal in Los Angeles, and we'd be working. Like, I'm going to get teary, actually. And she'd just start crying, you know? Like, um, I don't know. And you make a safe room, you know what I mean? But it's, these things actually happen, you know? And so, uh, and I don't know, nobody can take those away from you, you know? And um, I don't know, like, 
those are my memories, and they're they're vivid when you think them. So I haven't thought about that in decades, and you bring it up, and I'm forced to face it. You know what I mean? And that's what happens. It's crazy. It's like thinking about your dead mother. You know, you never know what's going to creep up on you. But you work so closely with these people. Yeah, it's I, intimate. It, it really, really is intimate. very intimate. And, and, and you stayed friends with them and through trust the years. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. And by the way, let's be honest. It goes through periods. It's good till it isn't, and then. But you know, I've had a couple of divorces and re remarriages. Um, it, it just happens. You know what I'm saying? It's dynamics. It's protection. It's well, you know, it's you, a relationship. It's a relationship. You guys are working so closely and so intimately. I mean, yeah. yeah, it, it, yeah. Um, another great talent that you worked with, Sam Harris. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we were just talking on the phone yesterday. It's crazy you would pick him out of nowhere. Wow. <laughs> But uh, Sam and I, I mean, listen, I was like all of you. We saw him on uh, um, Star Search. Uh, Star Search. Star Search, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I met him. You know where I met him? In a steam room in Los Angeles. I was doing Les Mis, <laughs> and I was going to whatever the club is there, L.A., whatever. And uh, I'm in the steam room, and, uh, and he walks in, and I'm like, <laughs> and you want to meet him, you know what I mean? But how do you do that? You know, you got a towel on, do you shake, you know, whatever. That happened to me in New York at aerobics class. It was a tough class that day at Health and Record Club. So this guy's in the steam room and who's in the class. And I go, God, that was brutal today. He goes, yeah. And I said, I'm Richard. He goes, I'm Desmond. I said, oh, like Desmond Child and Rouge? And he goes, I am Desmond Child and Rouge. And I was like, because the only Desmonds I knew were Desmond Morris, who wrote The Naked Ape, and Desmond Child and Rouge. And that's how I met Desmond Child. I want to get into that because... Oh. You were the one who brought Desmond Child back onto the stage that after 30 or 40 years. You know, he's Talk Cuban. about that. He's Cuban. Yeah. And our, we used to have Christmases together in Miami, and our mothers knew each other and all that. But, um, um, uh, you know, he's a famous singer-songwriter, tons of top 10 hits. He's worked with everybody. Right. But he hadn't performed. But I saw him in the days in New York City, you know, uh, all those places. So we did that, and that's what got him um, uh, American Songbook at Lincoln Center. And I did the awards for him, the La Musa Awards, which is Latin music and stuff. So yeah, so and how did a, you get him back on after all of those years? Well, he sought me out. He wanted to do it, okay. right? So he sought me out, and then you know it's tricky when you're dealing with friends when it comes to your price tag. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so you yes, let, I know I work with Patrick. Yes, you let the managers and the things take over because at the end of the day, it's like you know I don't have family and friends pricing so that that's the first thing but you know desmond who was you know the visual star you know uh, he still yearns for that a bit and you know i see him more as a you know carol king great musician vocalist legend yeah and so uh, you must have been proud though to be the one who well i was, I was really proud of the show and also we we um, you know reunited rouge so that was historic but you know the thing with desmond is when i brought ricky martin to broadway and put him in les mis um, he said to me, I want to make an English-speaking album, right? Because he had done Un Pasito Palante Maria and all that. And Desmond was a fellow Cuban. So I called Desmond and I said, you got to meet with Ricky Martin. Oh, no, he does boleros. I said, no, that's Luis Miguel. This is a different thing. <laughs> different guy. Yeah. So uh, Ricky and him met. And guess what? Live in La Vida Loca was born. And that is a true story. It's in Ricky's book. It's in Desmond's book. That actually happened. And so we rode that gravy train for a couple of years. I'll never forget what we did. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously. Like, it was a big deal. That's an entertainment term. <laughs> but I like the way you threw that. Just said, eh, we rode that one for a while. It's yeah, but the thing is, so all of a sudden we're doing that big uh, rainforest thing at Carnegie Hall. You know, Sting. And, of course, Sting is Ricky's hero. So I'm there in the moment they meet. These things are life 
shattering. But I said to Ricky, this is a true story. I think it's in the book, his book. Um, uh, uh, they wanted him, and I said, Ricky, it was a Frank Sinatra tribute, right? Mm. So I decided we we're going to do, uh, actually, Desmond picked the song, World on a String, and Hector Garrido did the thing. So I mapped out what the arrangement would be like. Uh, 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 on the finger, on the finger, what a world, what a life. I'm in love. And he's dancing back and forth at Carnegie Hall. They'd never seen anything like this. And he dragged out a thing, and I had Armani make him a pencil suit with a hat. Oh. So when he revealed his face, it was up to the balcony. So I said, Ricky, we do one song, and you'll leave the building. We're not singing no New York, New York finale, nothing. You're getting in the car, and you're leaving. So he calls me. We did it. We did it. And the next day, um, uh, uh, who's the shock jock? Um, uh, Howard, Stern. Howard, Stern. Howard Stern said it was the best part of the show, oh. but it was a it was a calculated performance. We opened Act Two, and left the building. But the funniest thing was there's Elton John, there's James Taylor, there's uh, Sting, and they saw the number and they go, Richard, what do we do? I go, I don't know. You didn't hire me. <laughs> right. Sorry. Uh, tell me a little bit about the Chaplin Awards. Oh, the Chaplin Awards is one of the greatest gigs in my life. So, because I'm a theater person, right? So, this is film. It's film at Lincoln Center, and it's been in existence for a number of years. And uh, the Charlie Chaplin Award is given for us. In, so, I've worked with Scorsese and De Niro and uh, like everybody, you know, uh, Catherine Deneuve, Barbara Redford, uh, Jane Fonda. And this year, we're honoring um, Jeff Bridges. Um, uh, so it's great and you do a lot of homework and you watch the films and you do film packages and you have rehearsals in the afternoon so you get to talk to everybody like we reunited Billy Crystal and um, Meg, uh, Meg, Meg Ryan. Ryan yeah so and they hadn't been together no one had seen them <laughs> together right so I was giving notes and Billy Crystal goes like this are you giving me notes and I, I like panicked for a second and I went yeah I think so and he goes I'm just sitting with you, you know? <laughs> But I, like, panicked, you know? But there you are, like, reading with uh, 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 Siegel, George Siegel. Like, I have so many pictures at these rehearsals, and you're just, like, talking to people. And it's like, you know, you do pinch yourself. So this year, I can't tell you who's lined up yet because it's going to be a bit of a surprise, but it's... Nobody's listening. Go ahead. I just, I just had a meeting in New York about it. And, uh, but it's one of my favorite nights of the year. Like the year we did Spike Lee was right after COVID. Yeah. So um, to have those, you know, it was just, it was just, uh, it's a great thing. I wanted to ask you, how'd COVID Viola affect Davis you? Davis last year. COVID affected me terribly. Yeah, like, talk about that. Terrible. So... Um, I had COVID in 2019 before we knew it was COVID. I came back from New York. Kristen, my assistant, and me, we all got it. I was sick for 26 days. Ooh. I couldn't walk the dog. I couldn't pick up my head. I lost 30 pounds. And I called my doctor and I said, you got to come see me. I think I'm dying. What is happening? Now, remember, there were no memos out in the world. Right, nobody knew what it was. Yeah. So when we found out, I was, I was enraged. Like, I was furious, right? So <clears throat> really sick. Um, and... Uh, couldn't figure it out so you know it got long once we found out and i was addicted to msnbc i was angry but then when the antibody test came in that april or whatever it was i went and i was loaded like i haven't had it since and i've gone for all the vaccines and stuff but i've never had another bout of it but i had it terrible and i thought could well, i have died? you had it very early on in in one of its original you know the, obviously the thing mutates and just, but 
I, I imagine it was at its most virulent when you had it. Yeah, so it was bad. So, um, but somebody who was used to being in front of people and working live and everything. Yeah, you know, you did a little bit of online, but it was nauseating running yeah. to the computer for meetings. And, but this is what really happened. Like, am I going to go to the grocery store or am I going to die? Yeah. I would spray the mail with Lysol. Like, I really did. Now, I lived on water, so I could go swimming because we had a sandbar and everything, but the ocean was closed. So it was crazy. By the and this time, was in Miami. Yeah. By the time 1030 comes, I mean, honestly, God, it's time to call the drug dealer. I'm not joking because the days are really long. And so, you know, after you Marie Kondo your drawers and your socks and your underwear, what the hell am I going to do? And I'm, I'm really not joking. We were going insane. So I started these Friday Broadway cocktail parties with my assistant. And they were star-studded, you know, four pages of stars, you know, on every Friday. And they always had themes like Bye Bye Birdie or this or Christmas or, you know. And, uh, and actually, a lot of people connected and helped each other with insurance and stuff like that. So we're thinking about doing a reunion one. But, <clears throat> you know, it was scary. And then we started sneaking out and a birthday would happen. You're not supposed to sing or anything. And then we're drunk and then you fall on your face. And, uh, but Nick Cordero was a friend of mine, you know, who was one of the first to go and get his yeah. leg cut off. You know, the big Broadway guy. Oh, yeah. And that was brutal. And yeah. so I remember vividly going into my backyard and screaming to the sky, you know, if there's a God, take me. You know, I don't have a wife and a child. Like, I was really, really upset because not long before that, we had a meeting at um, a Fiorello's. He wanted to meet me. His agent called me. And he wanted to do an act because he had to make money because they were about to have a baby. She was pregnant. And he told me that. It's just brutal. It's brutal. Well, you worked with Il Divo and they lost <coughs> the... the it Carlos, yeah. Carlos. So it's just... Uh, and by the way, what people don't understand about stardom or relationships or working... The friendships, you know, because you're, you have to protect yourselves and each other and them, and you get very insular, and you get very close very quickly. So you have a lot of different families. Do you know what I'm saying? And you're human beings. <clears throat> it's like discovering Leah Michelle when she's eight years old. Right. You oh, know, yeah. so you go see her, you know. But all these friendships, they last. You know, her dad owned a deli in the Bronx. I'm loaded with information. Does anybody give a shit or does it matter? I have no idea. <laughs> we do. We do. Yeah, That's we why do. you're here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the world is so sm- I mean, it's a large world, but in, in, that, in that sphere, yeah. the number of people you, you get to meet and be friends with yeah. is very small. Yeah. So it's a very insular community, and, and I imagine those, those friendships are extremely intense. They are. And what's interesting about living here now is I've had more visitors here than I ever did in 30 years in Miami. Everybody comes through Palm Springs. Yes. I'm in shock. If they're not performing here, they're coming to something or an event or a writer's festival. Or <clears throat> It's been extraordinary. And a little hair raising for my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, we, I, I want to talk about this. Lay Miz cannot be talked about without talking about you. Talk What's about your, your history with I that. I always say I am Lay Miz. You are Lay yeah. Miz. It is my, hands down, yeah, my it favorite. Is. It was a life-changing Broadway show when I saw it. Now, what year did you see it? That's important. Uh, it would have been... Uh, did you see the original? It was in New York. It was probably 1991. Okay, so you saw the original. Because I always say the first 10 years, you know, whoever was in it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's an extraordinary story. So I just had finished doing Oliver as a stage manager, dance captain on Broadway. Cameron McIntosh produced, had Patti LuPone, Ron Moody, a very <sighs> short run. Ron Moody was unbelievable Yeah, he was that. also crazy. So <laughs> let's just start Tell us there. more. Well, to play that position. 
that that party probably had to be crazy crazy yeah. crazy michael jackson came it was just nuts anyway so i'm headed to santiago chile because we talked about directing limes and i'm bilingual so i was going to do the spanish world premiere at the teatro nacional you know the santiago and so and this was around when the time the movie missing came out where you get shot on the streets if you're not home by one and i'm like what the fuck am i doing here <laughs> But Cameron had told me about Les Miserables that he was going to do a musical. So I'd never read the novel. I knew Hunchback, but you know, I never picked up Les Miserables. So I go to Coliseum Books, which is no longer there on Columbus Circle, and I say, hey, do you have a copy of Les Miserables? And this big fat thing lands on the thing, and I'm like, oof, nobody wants a job that bad. Yeah, do you have and the Reader's I'm Digest version? I'm not a particularly <laughs> quick reader, right? But I'm in Santiago, depressed, going, why did I take this job? And uh, <clears throat> I start reading it, and I get as far as the ABC Cafe. And I'm freaking out. And I called London with the time difference. I said, Cameron, who's going to direct this? And he said, well, I'm talking to Trevor Dunn and John Caird at the Royal Shakespeare Company. And they'd done Nicholas Nickleby, which I knew well. And um, I said, can you get me an interview? So he did. And I flew to London. And Trevor was out of town, but John met with me. <clears throat> and I'll never forget the meeting because I was so a little over-enthusiastic, but... I think they, he patted me on the head and thought, oh, you little <laughs> musical baby, you know, have a good flight back to New York. I get back to New York, going to work at Song and Dance now, and I start hearing rumblings in the community. Oh, I heard you had an interview at the Royal Shakespeare Company, blah, blah. You know, uh, they're asking us what we know about you. So things were looking good. So then it's on, and I go to see it. And I'm freaking out. And Red and Black comes in the ABC Cafe. And I knew it was going to change the world. I just knew it. I don't know what told me. Um, and uh, I had a meeting with Trevor and John at Joe Allen the next day. And, um, and they said, okay, we'll sign. Oh, and I also made criticisms <laughs> about what song could go and this should move there. You know, I'm 20 white years old. Like, I <laughs> so you knew it all. <laughs> yeah. But I was right. And they figured that out. So they said, you'll be our assistant. I said, oh, no, no, that's not going to happen because I was Peter Hall's assistant, you know, when I did Amadeus. And I never saw him again because he was running the National Theater of Great Britain. You guys are running the Royal Shakespeare Company. And these things tour and there's, you know, it's a lot. So we made a deal and I became the associate director and I was the executive producer. And uh, it's some of the greatest, you know, years of my life and uh, just a uh, very, very special place. You know, that, the Macintosh years, because then Phantom happened, Miss Saigon happened. It's crazy. You know, if you're lucky if you get one yeah. huge success. No, when, you, when I looked at uh, the shows that you were associated with, I mean, and, and you just named, you know, like Miss Saigon was unbelievable. Yeah. I saw that yeah. on Broadway. And, and, and but look what we went through on that. We had to cancel it, you know, $28 million advance. They didn't want Jonathan. They didn't want Leia. Who won the Tonys? Jonathan Leia. But it was a shit show. The <laughs> unions, we lost Best Musical, but we ran eight years. Will Rogers closed. Just, it was just a, a illumination of lesson after lesson after lesson after politics. And, uh, you know, I was the moving target because I, I wasn't Cameron and I wasn't Trevor or John or anybody. I was second in command but had the power. It's a very interesting and I decided never to put myself in that position again. It was, com <laughs> it was com No, it was complicated seriously. What haven't you done that you wish you had? Um, what hadn't I done? Um, Is there anything that you haven't done that you wish you had? Yeah, I mean, you know, 
climate has changed in terms of. So I directed a production of Porgy and Bess, you know, with Symphony, uh, Florida Symphony, before the Black Lives Matter. Right. That could never happen again for me. So I'm thrilled it did, right? My dream was to do The Wiz. The reason I did Les Mis at the Muni was to get the first class rights to The Wiz. That could never happen now. And I still feel like I could do it better than anybody. But it doesn't matter because there's now a new card to play. Yeah. So it's interesting. So I'm sort of glad I'm on this side of the curve of the career. But I was a part of something vital, fantastic. There's no bitterness. You know, I'm still in the game. You know, I, I somehow can't seem to get out of the game. It's, it's so extraordinary to me. The next thing you are doing, what, what do we get to see? Well, the next thing is, are you familiar with the Housewives franchise? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I work with the Countess Luann. So I've done her show. <laughs> My wife is going to be so, so excited. Countess Cabaret, <laughs> and we're doing a brand new show that opens at the Wiltern to start a world premiere called Mary F. Kill, which is the game Mary Fuck Kill. Who right. Jimmy, so we've been rehearsing that. I just did that in New York, and we open up February 16th in Los Angeles. And um, uh, uh, I'm doing like a whole bunch of things, but I don't know. I can't even think like I'm so fried. Um, uh, well, I know you said you just got back from New York, and you're leaving for... Oh, so I've got, oh, you're going I've got film at Lincoln Center. That's April 29th. I've got... Um, uh, let me just think of the dates. March 6th, uh, Hugh Panera opens at 54 Below, so the album just came out that I co-produced, and I did, directed the show, and so that was a huge success. I've got Norm Lewis. We're doing a show called Summertime. It's his first time not doing a Christmas show in Manhattan. It's Tony Week, so we have six shows, and that'll sell out. So, you know, I'm keeping it going. So we're a couple of weeks ago. Were you telling people about your appearance on this podcast? No, but I will now. <laughs> And I, I have quite a few followers, believe it or not. Like, it's I believe like, it. What do you What do you communicate most on? Like, I'm a Facebook whore, and you know, I use Facebook like it's Instagram <laughs> because I don't understand Instagram. I don't think I'm famous enough. I, I haven't figured I, out threads yet. And the Twitter oh, thing, God. I can't. You know, somebody wrote me on Twitter today, like a professional person <laughs> sent me a private message. So now the thing happens. You go, oh, I'll get to that, and you can't remember where it came from. Like Which my social CPAP media machine had to be picked up yesterday, <laughs> and they didn't come. Where? What was it? An email? Was it a text? Well, well, it was it was funny because I, <laughs> I I knew I had to reschedule our appearance right. with you, and then I was I couldn't figure out how I got in touch with you in the first place. I know so, I went back to your original <laughs> message saying me too. <laughs> I was like, trying to realized, figure out and then how you to talk to somebody. Me this week yeah, to find me. It was like I realized it was the old fashioned way that I actually had your phone number. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is that but makes it a lot easier. Sort of annoying. Like, <laughs> we were going to write you a letter. <laughs> right. I've got rid of. I mean, we, we we kind of have to have a Twitter X thing. You know, right. state, but I I never go on it. I just ignore yeah. it entirely. I and use X, most of the stuff. X I do still says retweeted, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's so crazy. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's silly. But what do you use? Do you like Instagram? Facebook. I'm, I'm a you know. Yeah. I'm a, do you think it's an age thing? Because yes. we're old, we like Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I like it. It's sort of like AOL. I'm I've got AOL. my MySpace account. Nobody's responding. No, now you're to lying. It. You're trying to get a laugh. That's I am. Oh. <laughs> Every week I try to get one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mainly I started Instagram just to spy on my kids. There you go. Uh, yeah, I just yeah, wanted yeah. to make sure they weren't posting like yeah. nude pictures. But uh, but this whole thing about slipping into the DMs and everything—it's all too much. Is that me. crazy? I know. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Well, this has been delightful, and you were exactly correct. I'm glad you told me at the Purple Room that you'd be a good guest. <laughs> I thought I might be. You, you know, were. But even when we sat down, whoever's listening, uh, you know, they were going to say, we're going to talk about this, or do you not want to talk about anything? I'm pretty good, and I'm a pretty open book, and of course you know where to draw the line, but you know, I'm thrilled to be here because I do love it here, and I'm a new entry into the community and stuff, but um, 
uh, I, I want you know whatever I get involved with here to matter. Like I'm just not I'm not that um, surface that I just sign on to everything. Well, so I'm I'm still looking and searching and finding my way. Well, we lo- you know we have we've had some really <laughs> terrific guests, uh, but it's really fun, particularly when we get a guest like you who is still so active yeah. and vibrant in the arts community, uh, because it, you know it you're here. And you're part of this community, but you you have such a broad reach and, and you do so many interesting things. So Thank thanks you. for Thank spending you. a little time in our corner booth. Thank you very much. And by the way, I'm not supportive at all. It's like entertain my ass or I'm out. So <laughs> that's why I'm here because I have a little experience watching it. We, we've all run into each other socially. Yep. So I actually waited for this. Like I wanted this. Well, so, wow. Well, I hope yeah. the rest of your future gets this is, better. Yeah, listen, this is no. Look at what I did in my bedroom. Look what happened. Now here I am on your podcast. Come on, are we kidding? That's awesome. Yeah. This is uh, this is a delight. Thank you Thank so you very much. much. Patrick, Thank you. we pulled off another one. I can't believe this it. This is number 31. <laughs> no, this is 47, 47, something wow. like 47. that. Congratulations. Yeah. That's yeah. wild. That's like more than a television season. We're going to keep doing these until my <laughs> wife starts listening. That is, I think... That's the goal. Tell right. her we talked about certain things and maybe she'll tune in. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, once again, our thanks to Richard J. Alexander. Fantastic guest. Thank you very and, much. And uh, I just want to. I just want to follow you around. I want to yeah, be I like too. The, the guy in the corner of the room. You know, that's interesting. All these people, I, I'd love your life, trade places. You be careful what you wish for. No, no, I don't want to trade <laughs> places. I just want to follow you. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, let me tell you my uh, pet peeve before we close. Uh-oh. So, you know, when people it's look people at... people who want to follow <laughs> us. Yeah, whatever. They're like, you're so lucky. And I really resent that. Luck has nothing yeah. to do with it. But you worked I've your worked ass off. really fucking hard. Yeah, you did. And nobody's given away anything. And I didn't join any contest. And, you know, my parents weren't famous or weren't in show business. And I busted my ass. You Learned it all and learned on my feet, and you're still learning it. Uh, yeah. Still earning it. Look, I'm bluffing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say congratulations for an incredible career, career, but that kind of seems silly. That's all right. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Which though continues, and uh, we will Thank look you. forward to following your your uh, work with great Thank you. Uh, we'll great be, anticipation. We'll be in tighter touch. And I'm for Skip, with. did you like the burger? Totally. Oh, good. Very we excellent go. cheeseburger with sautéed onions and Then fries. we're guaranteed another yes. week here at Little Bar. That's right. So we like to thank Skip and the team here today. We had Chloe and our brand new Alexis. Uh, we'd like to thank John McMullen, our producer, who does such a great job and make sure that it gets out on all of the various podcast platforms that you enjoy listening. Randy, thank you very much. Thank your, you for your letting me come back this week. Well, it's, it's, it's really good to have you. And, <laughs> You know, you posted you were going to be here on Facebook, so I couldn't so say you were kind of. So if I do that every week, I'm I guaranteed a spot. I'm still not sure what you look like because you have backlight. I can't see your face. <laughs> well, he requested not to yes. be identified. Okay. That's would like as to good thank as I look. Alan Horowitz, our in-house counsel, who is here on a regular basis. Uh, do we do we have any legal issues today? Uh-oh. Thank you very much for joining us on this edition of Big Conversations Little Bar. And we'll be back real soon with another great episode. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Big Conversations Little Bar. Recorded on location at Skip Page's Little Bar in Palm Desert, California. The center of the Coachella Valley universe. This program is a production of the Mutual Broadcasting System. All episodes are available from BigConversationsLittleBar.com or from most major podcast portals, including Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music.